0: Well, when I talk to people that you know, have read my books or listened to my podcast, they're like, oh, I'm so excited. It's like I'm talking to a celebrity. I've listened to you for so long. But then when I'm in my community, I just think you know, they have no clue that I have this secret life.
1: Welcome to the Secret Life Podcast. Tell me your secret. I'll tell you mine. When I first started my recovery 11 years ago, I struggled through the textbook-like material on the subject. I wanted to make the addiction and the recovery from it accessible and relatable to more people by telling it in an entertaining way. Well, I'm super excited to announce I've released my first book, Secret Life of a Hollywood Sex and Love Addict. Welcome to the Secret Life Podcast. I'm Brienne davis Gant. Today, I'm pulling back the curtains of all kinds of human secrets. We'll hear about what people are hiding from themselves or others. You know, those deep, dark secrets we probably want to go to our grave with? Or those lighter, funnier secrets that are just plain embarrassing? Really, the how, what, when, where, and why of it all. Today, my guest is Jean. Jean, I have a question for you. Dun dun dun.
0: What is your secret? Well, my secret is that, unbeknownst to almost everyone in my community, I am an international online uh, recovery personality who talks about being sober, and I help tens of thousands of people all around the world with my book and my podcast and my blog, and the people of my community have no idea. (laughs) Oh, goodness. I I don't even know where to begin. How
1: do you even keep that a secret?
0: Well, I would say it's an open secret. So I just don't really actively talk about it. Mm -hmm. And the fact is people find me if they go looking for help with alcohol use disorder or mm-hmm. if they search recovery or something like that, they may stumble onto uh, my work and they, they could potentially find out that it's me. Uh, I've published books even. And so if they go looking for books about recovery, they might come across my name. So I don't actively work to uh, hide the secret, but the fact is it's just sort of it's It's a secret in plain sight, and um, yeah, most people would just never suspect <laughs> Do you live in a small community or a small town? I do. I'm a mm. big fish in a small pond, so mm-hmm. I live in a city in Alberta, Canada, which has a population of about a hundred thousand people, and I am a retired business owner here, and my name was on my business, so mm-hmm. people. Uh, know in a, in a community this size, you know, people know who all of the business owners are. It's sort of it's sort of a little weird celebrity, I guess, that you have in a in a small city, and um, so I was just very visible in my community throughout my career, um, and and really well known for what I did, and well-regarded in that industry. And of course, uh, as I'm sure other guests on your show have talked about, that one of the ways that I managed the stress and pressure of being a woman in business was that I leaned too hard on alcohol at the end of the day. And that really caught up with me. And so people uh, didn't know that I had a drinking problem. Therefore, they didn't know I got sober. And uh, so I kept that pretty quiet.
1: How did you, did you get sober through the 12-step program
0: or how did you get sober in a smaller community? So I was thought so highly of myself that I just thought I couldn't possibly go to a 12-step program. <laughs> You're too good for that. that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'll tell you, you know, they they sometimes say, uh, and I am pretty familiar with that program now and I do drop into their meetings now, but there's an expression of being an egomaniac with an inferiority complex and that was 100%. Mm. Percent me. So it wasn't that I thought I was better than other people. In fact, there was a part of me that was deeply afraid if I went to a recovery meeting, they'd say, Oh no, we know who you are. You're out there killing it all day. You're fine. You don't need to be here. So you don't need to quit drinking. And I was so afraid of someone telling me that I was fine because I really knew that I was on a really scary slide that would end in. A lot of unhappy events and probably ultimately death. And I really, I felt that I was making a life or death decision and I was just afraid of anything that might talk me out of it. So as stupid as it sounds now, (laughs) I didn't. So how I got sober out of utter blind fear uh, was that I started blogging. Wow. Wow. If, you know, I ran the the website or I worked on the website for our, for our business, and I knew you could see the traffic count. And I thought, well, I'll just write an anonymous blog saying I'm getting sober. And if I just see that one person sees it, I'll know someone's holding me accountable out there. Right. My question for you, though, before you
1: get into that story is… Yeah. How much were you drinking when you were getting close to that bottom moment when you were like, I am a high-functioning drinker, but I can't keep going on?
0: Mm -hmm. So I wasn't drinking alarming amounts. Although, you know, if you take the quiz and you look at what high-risk drinking is, I was at the very tippy-top of the high-risk category. But that still was probably close to a bottle of wine a night, but maybe not quite. And I guarantee there's people listening that will roll their eyes and be like, that's nothing. <laughs> oh, everybody has an opinion. Believe <laughs> yeah. yeah. me. But here's the thing. I, I knew I was drinking more instead of mm-hmm. less, and I wanted to stop, and I couldn't. And then I would try to moderate, and I couldn't. And no matter mm-hmm. what I did to try to stop, I just kept drinking more. And I kept drinking earlier in the day, and I'd gotten to this part of life where once I stopped started drinking uh it was the end goal was to fall asleep so that I could get up and go to work the next day right like that's all I wanted to do was just shut off my brain and go to sleep but I had to start earlier and earlier in the day and once I started I couldn't drive I had three teenage boys they needed rides everywhere Mm -hmm. so I I had all this anxiety of like when is this day gonna end (laughs) so I can start drinking (laughs) and um so needless to say I was not delightful to be around and um and then once I did finally, you know, get a hold of my my wine for the night, uh, I would just drink and drink and drink. And the goal was to just basically black out a nanosecond before my head hit the pillow right. so that I could fall asleep without having to be alone with myself. Wow. I mean, when you're saying all of that, I
1: can identify like amping it up just to like switch off your brain. Yes. I, I wasn't with alcohol. It was with attention and and sex and love and all that. But everything you're saying rings so true for me in my own addiction because I was so high functioning. Also, if you looked at my life, you would be like, she has it all together. What is she talking about? But we know when something is going down a road. And I remember waking up and going, am I going to be doing this the rest of my life? And that to me was scarier than finally going, okay, I have a problem. But I love that you turned to writing and writing a blog. So go on with that story. I I cut you off before, but I want
0: to hear about it. Well, I thought if one person reads it, They'll Mm. hold me accountable. And, you know, there's a nugget of truth just in that alone that is at the heart of why your story and your ism overlaps with mine. Mm. And that is because both of us were lost to ourselves. Completely. Completely. (laughs) Just what I knew didn't matter. I was keeping a secret, but. I didn't even think it was real because nobody but me knew it. I just didn't value myself enough to think that if I know it, somebody knows. And that's the thing, that even when I wanted to get sober, I needed this external accountability and validation because I just didn't, I had no concept of me being a real valuable entity. Anybody else is more valuable than me. Like any unseen person out in the internet could have been a, a bot. If they clicked yeah. on my blog, mm-hmm. that <laughs> would give me the boost. So that's really what's at the heart of it. And so recovery, I suspect you'll say the same thing too, it wasn't just about quitting. It was about valuing myself, yeah. honoring myself and loving yourself,
1: having that yeah. love knowing that, You can't be abandoned if you're not abandoning yourself.
0: Mm -hmm. That's at
1: the core of it. Mm -hmm. That is at the core of it. It's really at the core of any ism
0: or addiction or excessive use of something. Don't you agree? I think so. I, I think we have a wound and we're trying our best to just fill that void with whatever we can cram in there to temporarily numb the pain and... And then we think we're so bad for doing what we have to do to survive. that we yeah, that's we're... shame.
1: That's yes. shame.
0: So then that makes the wound bigger and it's just a snowball effect. And then you add into the fact that then these things that we do have actual physical addiction components to them. You know, alcohol is an addictive substance. Mm-hmm. So why is anybody surprised that anybody is ever addicted to it? The only surprising thing is that people drink it without becoming addicted. That's the surprising thing. Yeah, and for you with love addiction, you know, there's a there's a whole lot of uh, the brain stuff going on there that kicks off an addictive cycle. So, well, I have to tell you because the first
1: moment I acted out in my addiction, I and I've talked about this before is it was like heroin shot up my arm, yeah. like the rush of those endorphins of like falling in love or kissing was such a high that
0: I was yeah. chasing it my entire life. Mm-hmm. I can totally understand that. And I think there's a lot of overlap. Yeah. Because I definitely have felt that way with male attention in my own life, mm-hmm. where it just, you know, it lights you up like a Christmas tree. And you don't even know that it's happening like yeah. yeah it's literally the best high in the world <laughs> and i still miss it
1: i miss like i say i'm in love with falling in love
0: yeah yeah and it really is it's a it's a brain hijack <laughs> that happens that then people that don't experience that are like well what's wrong with you why can't you just x y z and and you're like, I don't know, but like it's because your response is completely different than anyone else's. And I, I can totally sympathize with that. And here's the funny part. I didn't go to recovery meetings because I thought, well, I'm not like them. Like, I'm not your average alcoholic. I love,
1: I love when people say that about it. they're like, I'm I'm not gonna go to overeaters. I'm not like them. I don't yeah. like it.
0: Always just cracks me up. Yeah, addicts, we like love to make an excuse for anything. Yes, because we just think that our we we think everyone else is the stereotype, but we aren't. Yeah, we're and special then... <laughs> and <neat>. unique. <laughs> so fortunately for me, and as I blogged my experience, and I just wrote a little bit every day about mm-hmm. what I was going through and how I was getting through the day, and and I was doing it all anonymously on my blog originally. Um, eventually, well, first of all, people started commenting and saying, yay, good for you. It gets better. Stick with it. And that was really validating and helpful yeah. and a godsend. That kept me going. But then other people started commenting and saying, you're telling my story. Yeah, me too. This is helping me. And it was surprising to me that I was helping anyone. Then I then I had no idea that was one of the steps is to help others because it helps
1: you. It's the best step. It's the service one. Yeah. I honestly believe that is the step that saves us. So if anybody's struggling out there, just start being of service to somebody else. And that really gives you that boost of self-love and confidence. I believe that's the, that's the one that saves me every day. And doing this podcast, that's why I did this podcast and wrote that Huff Post
0: article was to be of service to other people. But, you know, you have to be doing it from a good place. and Well, not a good place, a a place of healing. So I, I give a word of caution with that. Helping others is a tool that helps us stay in recovery, but there's a big but that goes with it. The, what we talked about before of losing ourselves, you know the, the word for being other focused like that is codependency oh. we're, we're dependent on other people for our identity and one hallmark of codependent behavior is doing things for other people that they haven't asked you to do oh, and it's yes. a way <laughs> of like feeling good about yourself by doing things for others and it's a way it's it's a sign of codependency so well, you have think, to be careful
1: I, I agree I completely I was in t- Talking the non healthy codependent and the ego way. I always think the codependency is your ego. It's m- about you. It's yeah. You know, it, you're taking charge. You're trying to fix it for someone else. I'm talking about the acts of kindness, like when I first got sober in my program, and I would go and buy food for homeless people and drive down the street and just hand out food. And it was this simple thing that I did that got me out of out of bed, like going up to a homeless person saying, have you eaten today? Would you like something to eat? And mm-hmm. just doing that and
0: then was just such, it saved me from myself. Right. And doing it with the intention of, my intention is simple kindness. It's mm-hmm. not so that I can snap a picture of doing this and put it on Instagram. And yeah, get... nobody
1: knew I did that. <laughs> yeah, that was yeah. like 10 years ago and I did it for like a year and nobody knew. It, it wasn't about... The ego part of me. It was about
0: the service part of. Yeah, me. because then what you were seeking in other people with attention, you're you know, in in a maladaptive way, you're able to meet that in a sincere way that's actually productive. And Mm -hmm. it's so beautiful. But this, I guess the reason I'm mentioning it is definitely not to correct you. (laughs) Oh, no, I love
1: you correcting (laughs) No, but I'm glad you clarified because I don't want people to think, go out and and be of service to others and not
0: yourself. I'm glad. I love a good clarification. Well, it was a lesson (laughs) I had to learn. And it it was a big lesson for me. So I think it, it's important to mention it because I won a lot of awards mm-hmm. throughout my career in the midst of my dysfunction for all of this sort of hustling for my worthiness nonsense mm. that I was doing out of codependency. And I needed someone else to recognize me in order to feel worthy of breathing this oxygen that someone else could be breathing. You know, <laughs> So to, it was a real eye opener to me to learn that in doing that, I was in a roundabout way kind of hurting myself. You were, yeah. Yeah. That, so that was quite an eye-opener. And so all of this growth and lessons, you know, I, I cringe a little bit that the people that I used to work with or my competitors in the industry I was in, you know, that that all of this is out there for them to hear and they can they can be like, aha, you see, I knew. <laughs>
1: oh, yeah. I feel the exact same way. I said when it, all this came out and I decided to release it, it was like, what am I doing? Am I? This is going to damage me. Everybody's going to know. And then nothing happened. Nothing and happened. And it was like the world told me, you are just a small little person on this planet. You exactly. you do not mean everything to this world. You are important because you're a human and you're breathing, but the world doesn't stop because you're coming out with your truth.
0: yeah you right yeah and and the, the people that you help that that makes it worthwhile doing it for the fact that there might be a few that roll their eyes or you know they're maybe they're not ready to hear that message or they're you know they're titillated by the details yeah um, and I sort of now I just sort of think like well that's kind of worth the price of admission for the good that comes out of it but occasionally I just have to tell you like as I'm moving about my community and you know I'm in the grocery store store or whatever. And, and uh, yeah, it's, well, when I talk to people that, you know, have read my books or listen to my podcast, they're like, oh, I'm so excited. It's like, I'm talking to a celebrity. I've listened to you for so long. But then when I'm in my community, I just think, you know, they have no clue that I have this secret life. You're like the Meryl Streep of
1: your community. (laughs) Well, she talks about like when she walks around her town that nobody pays attention to her or like says anything. They just treat her, you know, that she's Meryl. And now and when she's out into the world, they're like, oh, my God. So I love that. That's my nickname for you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) well, i I'll take it. yeah, I, mean, I would wrong. take it
1: too. <laughs> so you're living this almost double life kind of, even though it's not like a secret secret. You just don't advertise it.
0: Yeah, exactly. And in a way, I'm living my recovery because, mm-hmm. you know, there's a part of me that wants to fall back into that, you know, hey, everybody, look what I'm doing now. I'm doing good things. Yay, yeah, look at me. And um, I just think there's an expression, I don't know what the exact phrasing of it is or who said it. Uh, so hopefully I don't mix it up too much. But there's a saying that you can't be a prophet in your own hometown, mm. But you know the people who like watched you grow up and do all the things you do they, they are rarely wowed by you. <laughs> they're like, yeah, whatever we remember when you were doing XYZ. So I, I think there's there's a, an aspect of that but to me staying humble and staying grounded is a big part of my recovery yeah. and so to be able to walk around, my day to day life, and not need the validation or the you know adoration or whatever whatever uh, I was looking for before, um, is a reminder to me that I'm walking the walk. I I just it
1: reminds me of my one of my most favorite words that I used to hate is humility. I love that word, and that's what you're describing. People think that's a horrible word, but I think it's such a beautiful word, to be humble.
0: Yeah, and to be truly humble and to not uh, be um, proud of your humility, (laughs) which is a paradox, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah.
1: Well, I always like to do these kind of secrets with the seven deadly sins, not in the religious sense, more in the character defects sense. So I'm going to name them for you and let me know if, you know, living this kind of double life secret, but living in your humility, um, if it attaches and why. So we have pride, greed, lust, gluttony, envy, anger, and sloth.
0: So I I gave some thought to this Mm -hmm. and I think that there's a flip side to some of these. So sometimes we're experiencing the seven deadly sins or one of them without realizing it because we're experiencing the shadow side of it. Mm-hmm. So I would say that for me, pride has a shadow a shadow side of shame. Mm-hmm. And so for a long time, I hid my identity as a person in recovery within my community because I was ashamed of it. Mm. And um, and now I'm proud of it, but not in a sinful, like self-damaging um, way. But I guess in a way that maybe it's not pride; it's just authenticity. Yeah, and I've yeah. had to work on that. And I think too that the other word that resonates with me is anger. I think I drank to. I think underneath the rock of my drinking, if you, you know, as you get curious about, gosh, why was I in so much pain? I really think I just was silently screaming all the time. All the time. It's like you're begging someone to see
1: what's going on. I feel, yeah.
0: Help me, help me. But please don't let anyone know that I ever needed help, you know, And, and I, so I think I've really, had kind of a wonderful time in recovery, exploring that and being curious about it, and figuring out why am I just so angry and why where's that coming from? And I've been sober now over nine years, oh, nine and a half congrats. years. Thank I'm, you. Mine is ten and a half. Yay! We're like right there at the same. Isn't it great? And it <sighs> like I thought I'd be done by now. I really did.
1: <laughs> you think I, you're going to be done? You believe that? Yeah. Oh my God, I not, love it. Not, not,
0: not that I could ever drink normally again. I I've fully accept and embrace that I'm alcohol free for life. I'm totally great with that. Mm-hmm. But I thought maybe the lessons would quit smacking me in oh. the face. At some Girl, point. they never stop. I have to tell <laughs> you,
1: even when I got a decade, it, something just rushed and hit me, especially being a mom. What we were talking about before we started is like, things get triggered and you have to like look at yourself once again. And you're like, I thought I already been through this. Like I've thought right? I've healed this and it keeps coming up. But it comes, it's like a, another layer comes yeah. off. It's that and, onion. And, it yeah. Keeps peeling.
0: And I guess I should be grateful for that because I, I feel like that's kind of, it's it's good for us. It keeps us interesting for goodness sake. But, you know, even this week I was kind of stomping around and my husband said to me, Uh, which he would never normally say. Normally, it's just we just kind of, you know, ignore stuff like this. But I was just being kind of grumpy. And he kind of called me out on it and said, what's going on with you? And I realized that I was kind of ruminating in my head that I was right about something. And I was There was a lot of chatter going on. Mm -hmm. And honestly, I think it was probably tied to hormones and just tied to like something that I was, you know, that sort of time of the month, I guess, the Mm -hmm. fluctuation of that, but that I had been permitting myself this sort of emotional spooling. and, um, And this like for the first time in a long time, I really felt, well, gosh, you know what? I kind of think I've been doing this Thing that I thought was my personality Mm -hmm. that I actually think isn't my personality. It was a pattern that was attached to physical things, and then it was it was like a dance I've been doing all these years, and uh, it was such an awakening for me to to just observe it. And it took me a few days. Yeah, and I mean, and yet I still felt it, and I. I kept saying, you know, I just feel really shaken up. I feel like I'm kind of shaken up. Mm-hmm. Instead of acting out, I just was sort of observing myself feel this way and, and telling myself, don't attach to any of this chatter. Everything you think is not necessarily true.
1: Well, I always love to say those moments, I always say, this is not real. This is just a feeling. It too shall pass. Yeah. That, that for me, when I'm feeling those ways, and especially hormonally as a woman, I just go, this is not real. It will pass. And I just feel the feelings and let them be and not judge them
0: and keep saying tomorrow will be a different day. Right? Yeah. That's a huge lesson. And I have a feeling um, that I'll, it will turn up again and again until I lock it in and, mm. and really relearn how to navigate just some of the things that, the, a pattern, deep, deeply ingrained patterns that uh, I really had convinced myself were normal and okay. And yeah, it feels good to know that we can just keep changing and growing. I mean, it's really the only reason to be alive, don't you think? Because if you're
1: stuck and not changing through your lifetime, how boring would that be to like wake up each day and go, oh, this is something else I have to look at that makes me closer to my authentic self and makes me a better person?
0: Yeah, exactly that. Uh, I'm flipping as we talk. I'm just flipping through a book of poetry that I wrote because I have a poem about this exact concept that we're discussing. And I, I promise you, I didn't set you up for this. <laughs> no.
1: Look at, she's like, I love that, listeners. And she's like, I promise I didn't. No, I love it. Hit it. Read okay. that poem.
0: It's called Reveal and Repeat. Healing happens bit by bit. Edges soften and lift, raw and tender flesh below exposed, soaks in sunshine and fresh, crisp air. Dance around in this new skin, stretch and reach, try the limits, see what it can do, caress it, slather it with fragrant oil, live in it fully as it strengthens and sparkles, protecting the rest until it's time and then bows and fades to opacity as something better emerges from beneath its surface. This is growth that need never end. Even the crone may hide spirited renewal behind milky eyes and open her heart to turn within again and again, exploring with curiosity every pattern and outcome, willing to change despite settling bones, speckled skin, and a world content to just let her be.
1: Oh my God. I'm like literally about to cry. That is so (laughs) beautiful. I love the dancing in the skin that line was like really resonated with me. Oh my God, I'm totally crying into my microphone. (laughs) I'm such a sap.
0: (laughs) I love it. I love it.
1: (laughs) Oh my God. So where can people find you? Can you give them your info? Because you just reading that poem, just literally, I have chills down my body and I am so eternally grateful for you coming on and sharing that with us.
0: Ah, oh, well, thank you. Well, that poem is from a book called The Ember Ever There, and it's a collection of poems about grief and change and recovery and rediscovery, and that together with uh, my podcast, which is called The Bubble Hour, and my blog, which is called Unpickled, uh, and I have a book about Unpickled as well. Um, I
1: love that oh, title. Can... <laughs> it's like such a great title.
0: <laughs> uh, all of that is just, all of it's on my website, which is JeanMcCarthy.ca.
1: The last question I have for the listeners, if anybody is struggling with a secret, you know, them not being this, quote unquote, the typical alcoholic or ism or whatever, or just struggling with a secret,
0: what would be your advice for them? Well, two things. First of all, look in the mirror and look in your own eyes and tell yourself the truth mm-hmm. and know that you you are as real and as valid as any other person that you could tell that truth to. So acknowledge it in yourself, but that's not easily done. And if, if anyone listening is resonating with what we've been saying about being lost to ourselves or not valuing ourselves, Mm -hmm. it can actually take time to get to where that exercise is effective. So meanwhile, it's good to find someone else that you can trust, that you can tell your secret to. And two things happen when you tell your secret. One is that it isn't so big anymore. Mm -hmm. And two is that you're not carrying it alone and you can make a plan for how to deal with it. Thank you so much for coming on and
1: sharing your wisdom with us. I am truly grateful.
0: Thank you for having me. You're just delightful. And thank you for doing this podcast. And if you want to be on the show, please
1: email me at secretlifepodcast at icloud.com. Until next time. Thanks again for listening to the show. Please subscribe, rate, share, or send me a note at secretlifepodcast.com. And if you like to check out my book, head over to secretlifenovel.com or Amazon to pick up a copy for yourself or someone you love. Thanks again. See you soon.